You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46 is the time in which Jesus has left the so-called upper room. He's leaving the upper room where the Last Supper was held, and he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane. His disciples, not all disciples, but he'll have a handful that will go with him to this garden. I want you to think about this. Human history began in a garden. Human sin first occurred in a garden. And according to the last chapters in the Bible, human history will culminate in a gardeneresque city that God will prepare. But here in Luke 22, we read of a garden in which the fate of humankind is decided. The Garden of Gethsemane. Here in this Garden of Gethsemane, a battle will be fought to determine our fate. And as life began in the Garden of Eden, new life will get its start here in the Garden of Gethsemane. The first Adam, the first Adam failed in the first garden with his sin. The second Adam, as Jesus is described in Scripture, will win the battle over sin in this garden. In the Garden of Eden, Adam ran from God when he sinned. He tried to hide. But here in this Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus presents himself to do the will of the Father. He gives himself up. So, as we have studied in this book of Luke, if you would turn to chapter 19, verse 10, this is the outline. This is the scripture that encapsulates the entire book of Luke. Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus gives those words, and that was the reason he came, to seek and save the lost. So, look at verse 39 of Luke 22, and we will read there. Then accompanied by his disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. This was a place in which he went to pray quite often, but here would be quite different. Now, what is unique about Gethsemane? Well, it, it was a, a high point that overlooked the city of Jerusalem. But it was also an olive grove. And in this olive grove was a olive seed press. They would gather the olives, take the seeds or the pits out, and put them in a crush, a press. They would crush the seeds to get the oil out. And that was the most valuable part of the olive, the olive oil. It was money to those people at that time. They used it for everything, cooking, lighting lamps. I mean, it had many different many different uh, values, but it was valuable. And this is a fitting place for Jesus to undergo the crushing weight 
of this trial that he's going to go under. One of, my, one of the passages in Scripture that had a big turning point in my life is Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5. And by the way, if you want to follow along in the YouVersion app, uh, a lot of these scriptures and notes are on there, so if you wanted to follow along. Sorry I didn't mention that earlier, but you can turn there in your phones or your tablets. But Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5, is the prophecy in which the prophet Isaiah wrote about the Messiah. Yet as in our weakness he carried, yet it was our weakness he carried. Not his, ours. It is our sorrows that weighted him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. No, it was a punishment or a punishment for his own sins? No, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. This trial in the garden is going to be the place in which Jesus was crushed. He'll be crushed just as those olive seeds were crushed and the best part comes out. See, we tend to put the emphasis on the trials that would happen the next day where Jesus went before Herod, where he went before the Sanhedrin, where he went before Pilate. But see, the fate of those trials would have been already decided when Jesus left the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was arrested. That fate was sealed. This trial that he's going to go under is the most intense trial. The trial in Gethsemane. Here, Jesus is faced with the burden of taking on himself the sin of the world. Verse 40, there he told them, pray that you not give in to temptation. And he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And think back to verse 31 of Luke 22. Tom went over this last week, but look back to that verse, verse 31. And when Jesus says, pray that you will not give in to temptation, the verse 31 is what he's referencing to. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Now some versions say, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you. But if you look at the Greek, the word you used there in that particular passage is plural. Okay? It's plural. It wasn't aimed just at Simon. It was at all of them, the disciples. So here, this version I'm reading out of is a New Living Translation. and says, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. So Jesus tells them, pray that you want enter into temptation. And so he went off in a short distance. Jesus did. Excuse me. Jesus did. And he began to pray. And he's telling them, you better pray because it's coming. So Jesus, in verse 42, begins to pray. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. 
Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. This verse is typically taken to reference the cross. But this verse has a lot more to it than the cross. It begins here in the garden. Here is the very heart of our faith, submission. Jesus says, not my will, but yours. So he is submitting. And I have to surrender my agenda for the Father's agenda. And we pray that our will becomes molded by the Holy Spirit. And we don't try to make God fit our will. How many times have I heard, surely God wants me to be happy. Surely God would think it's okay for me to do this. Is that God's will or yours? Jesus teaches us something very important. That we submit to the Father. And as we pray to the Father for things that we're concerned about. We use this as a reference that Father, not my will, but your will. See, that's the hardest thing that we ever can do is submit. Because it's not what we are as humanity. We don't want to submit. We want to be the way we want it to be. And that's not always the best way, is it? This cup that Jesus talks about. Father, take this cup. It's a metaphor for the trial that he's undergoing. He's, he's going to have to drink the cup of suffering. He's going to have to drink the cup of judgment of the divine wrath of God. And Re in Revelations 14 and verse 10 describes this wrath of God, the wrath of indignation, the punishment of sin. Here will be the greatest temptation in the life of Jesus. We think about the temptation in the wilderness for 40 days, but this, this will be different. This is different. It is greater. Because Jesus is going to be asked to do something that he can't comprehend. And he's struggling here because of his holiness. So he begins to pray this cup be different and it can't be he's struggling because of his holiness he's struggling because he's been totally devoted to that which is righteous and perfect he was without sin but everything that he has existed for has been righteous and perfect he struggled with Dealing with giving up holiness. Every motive, every thought, every word, every act. His time on this earth was about being holy. About being righteous. Being pure. And now Jesus was going to take on the sin of mankind. Sin. Sin is what is everything that is not righteous, everything that is not pure, everything that is not holy. Sin is everything that is not God. 
And yet Jesus is having to take on this sin. That's the temptation. That's the trial. And in verse 43, because of this heaviness, an angel, then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. It happened once before, didn't we know of, and that's after the temptation and trial in the wilderness. But an angel came to strengthen him. You mean our Lord needed strengthening? Yes, because the man part of him. He didn't, he didn't look forward to dying. He didn't look forward. He'd seen people crucified. That was common practice. He had seen what that was all about. He knew that he would be beaten. But that's not what his greatest burden was. You see in verse 44 he says he prayed more fervently. He is out on the ground and he is moaning and groaning in prayer because of what he has got to do. He is in such agony. In such agony of spirit that sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. A medical condition in which the capillaries that supply the the sweat glands burst. It was actual blood coming out of his face. See, Jesus is accepting the cup of wrath of God on all sin ever committed or that would be committed by people. And he's taking it on himself. The burden of this unholiness is being placed on him. And it's crushing him. But Scripture foretold this in Isaiah 53. But it is crushing him. He would be crushed for our iniquities, for our sin. Jesus said this in Matthew 26, verse 38, referring to this situation and, and as Matthew recorded this same event. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Try to wrap your head around the most grief that you've ever had. Here's where Jesus is. He's in grief. He is in torment. Do you understand that our Lord was in torment? Satan is tempting him to cling to his holiness and not go through with this. Satan's not out of this thing. He's there. He is in, he's the one tempting. You don't have to do this. You're the holy one. The temptation is to remain pure and holy and not go through with taking on unholiness. Satan didn't want Jesus to do this. He didn't want him to succeed. He didn't want to see him go to the cross. Jesus will drink the cup the next day when he hangs on the cross. He will experience separation from the Father. He will, he will be abandoned 
by God because of the sin He bears for us. And that's why it cries out on the cross to God in Matthew 27, verses 45 through 46. It says, when noon, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. God turns His back. And about 3 o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Because he had to. He had to for you. He had to for me. Or we would have no chance. We'll be doomed to a devil's hell without this happening. This is why he did it. And this is why he went through what he did. He did not want to be separated from the Father. And that's what the torment was in the garden. He's got to take our unholiness on Him. And if there's any other way, He's saying, Father, if there's, an, if there's another way, let's choose that, but not my will, but yours. And God said, this is the only way. It's what we have been planning from the beginning. Since the beginning of time. Paul gives us insight to the heart of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. In verses 6 through 8. And I want you to pay attention to this because we've all, you're, you're familiar with the passage. But I want you to look at it in the same perspective as what we've been talking about this morning. Verse 6 of Philippians 2. Though he was God... He did not think equality with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. But verse 6 and 7 gives insight to what he was going through in the garden. He didn't think equality with God was something that he needed to hang on to. Instead, he gave up divine privilege. The ultimate sacrifice is the Lamb of God. Spotless, without sin. And he took on our sin. He didn't commit sin. He took the weight of it. He took the punishment of it. He took on the wrath of God for us. In verse 45, Luke 22, Jesus stands up after praying. He says, At last he stood up and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. They're in grief. Their world has been turned upside down. This man they've been following around for three years just told them he's going to die. But they still hadn't got their head wrapped around who he really is. And they won't until he appears to them again. Because they're, they're going to be ready to fight when the soldiers come to arrest him. 
And Jesus says in verse 46, why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. He didn't ask anything for himself. He didn't ask them to comfort him. Comfort. Jesus didn't ask them to comfort him. He told them to pray for themselves because of what was coming. Don't give in to temptation. He's told them that twice. It wasn't the temptation to sleep. It was the temptation that their faith would fail. And it did, didn't it? But yet, Jesus still was thinking of them. Jesus was warning them, don't lose faith. And he tells us that when we undergo burdens, we go torment, we go grief, when we undergo those things, the message is still there, don't lose faith. Don't lose faith. Because I've got you. Jesus was encouraging them for them's sake. And the Hebrew writer thinks back to this in Hebrews 12, verse 3. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. When I think of what Jesus is going through in the garden, I get a whole new perspective of what it means for him to suffer for me. And then when he left the garden, his jaw was set. He wasn't going to fail because he already won. He already won in that garden. He was going to do the will of the Father. The temptation was there, but he didn't give up. He didn't succumb to temptation. He walked down that hill and then took the fury of the beatings, the mock trials, and then a criminal's death. And he could do that because of what he did in the garden. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. That we could have eternity with the Father. So Jesus walks out of the garden triumphant. It doesn't matter now what happens. He was ready. And it was just going to be a day left. He could do it. He had won the victory. He defeated Satan one more time. And he was going to put the final defeat on Satan when he rose from the dead after being crucified. He walks out of there. These people come to arrest him. He's got blood on his face. It soaked through his clothes. But he was ready. He was ready to face the ones that the enemy had placed before him. He'll face the betrayer. He'll face the Jewish leaders. He'll face the Romans. Because the greatest battle had just been won. And he'll go to the cross and he'll crush the head of the serpent. 
And he'll make that sin for us that he carried, he'll make us righteous before God because he took my unrighteousness. When he walked out of the grave and was exalted to the right hand of God, heaven shouts because the victory has been won. Where you stand this morning, do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the sacrifice? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God is so rich in mercy that he loved us so much that even though we were dead, because of our sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. There is the gospel. There is the good news of Jesus Christ. Everyone in the sound of my voice has heard the gospel this morning. If you haven't given your life to the one who gave his life for you. This is the day to do it. This is the day to do it. Because we have an enemy out there that seeks to devour and take. And that's what his purpose is until God locks him up for eternity. He is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that he had his son take on all the unholiness of mankind. That's how much he loved us. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. If anyone this morning wants to rededicate their life to the Lord or wants to give their life to the Lord, this is the time to do it. And let's all stand. And let's all sing. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.